Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Well, last week we began a new sermon series uh, looking at the book of Colossians. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there to the New Testament and find the book of Colossians right after the book of Philippians. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles that are in the uh, pew, the, sorry, the chair backs in front of you. And if you don't have either of those, you can probably find it on your phone pretty easily if you search for it. So uh, we uh, uh, began this series last week. But I, before we read, I want you to ask you a question. Do you ever struggle with your prayer life? Oh no, a sermon about prayer. Got to go to the restroom, run out. Um, If you're a Christian, then you know that prayer can be one of the most difficult aspects of living as a Christian, of the Christian life. Finding the motivation to pray in the first place can be a task in and of itself when we've got all these other things that are going on in our life. Whenever we do find the motivation to pray and we devote ourselves to it, it's difficult to focus our mind on the things that we should be focusing on. Instead, we're sort of thinking about what we should be doing during the day and all these things that we have going on. But even when we do find the motivation, even when we're able to focus and and God gives us the gift to do that, sometimes we just wonder, what should I even ask for? What should I be asking God about? in in my prayers. And so when we struggle with what we should even ask for, we end up asking for some of the same just vague and and general things in our life. God, please be with so-and-so. What does that mean, right? Um, This morning, we get an inside look at, at one of the prayers of the Apostle Paul for his churches. And my hope is that he will use this prayer that God records for us here in this letter to shape our own prayers and to help us when when we find ourselves struggling to pray. So let's read as God speaks to us through his word from Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 9. This is God's word. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us powerfully through your word and that you would shape our communication with you, which is prayer. Help us to ask for the things that you want us to ask for and to be shaped by these words, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, something you should know about me is that I am not a very flexible person. 
I mean that in most ways generally, but particularly physically. I'm not a very flexible person. Uh, I've never been able to touch my toes and keep my legs straight. I can cheat a little bit and like bend them a little bit and get to my toes, but not very, uh, not very well. I almost never stretch before or after I exercise. I mean, if you can find time enough to exercise, who has time for stretching on either end of it, right? Uh, and the older I get, it seems that the less flexible I become. My wife, on the other hand, is very flexible, right? She uh, can uh, put her leg up to her face, which I can't even come close to like getting it to 90 degrees. But when I think about my prayer life, I confess that it is uh, often equally inflexible and limited as my body. Uh, I tend to pray for the same things again and again. Uh, And often my prayers are so general and vague that it becomes difficult to see whether God has even actually answered my prayers. When you pray for just general things, like I said a minute ago, just God be with so-and-so, how can you know if God has been with so-and-so, right, that you've been praying for? And nothing can be more discouraging to our prayer lives to, to, to pray and then to not know whether or not God has answered those prayers. It's already hard enough to pray, you know, pray to someone that you can't see. It's hard enough to pray knowing that, but then to also think, does God even hear me? Is he actually answering my prayers? Is he actually doing what I ask him to do? That can be even more discouraging, and it can make our prayer life flag. Can you relate to the feeling of having inflexible prayers? Feeling like they're dry and calcified and stiff. When our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul gives the Colossian church a brief prayer report on his prayers for them. Back in verse 3, he told them that he prays for them. Then he went on to give thanks for them in our passage that we looked at last week. But in this passage, he expands on what he tells them in verse 3 by telling them a number of specifics about the things that he prays for them. And let's remember the context here. These young Christians are being enticed by an alternative religious system that is seeking to persuade them that the person and work of Jesus, in whom they had placed their trust, that Jesus doesn't have everything that they need in order to live a full spiritual life. Right? These teachers have said, you know what, sure, you've got Jesus, that's, that's okay, but then there are these other things, this other wisdom, this other understanding that you need in order to, to truly commune with God. And that certainly would have affected the way that they prayed, right? If they felt like they didn't have everything that they needed, that would have affected the way that they talked to God. And so here, even in this brief prayer report, Paul wants to show them how the work of Jesus should shape their prayer lives. And the main point that that I want us to see in this text this morning is that our prayer lives ought to stretch to be as big as God's promises for us. That our prayer lives ought to stretch to the the bigness of God's promises. His promises are so vast, so rich, so full, so complete, just like the work of Jesus, that our prayer lives should match that, that fullness, that richness. And there are three places that I want us to see that, where, where that stretching should take place. The content of our prayers, what we pray for. The goal of our prayers, why we pray, what we hope to see God, how we hope to see God fulfill them. And then third, the basis of our prayers. What, what is the base underneath that, that encourages us and motivates us to prayer? 
So first, the content of our prayers. This stretching our prayer lives to the size of God's promises means that that, that that ought to change what we pray for. Look at what Paul says that he prays for them in verse 9. He says that, I pray asking that you may be fulfill, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice first that the primary concern that Paul has here is that God would change them. Not that he would particularly change their circumstances. They were people just like us who faced difficulties just like us. Economic problems and health problems and all kinds of things. But when he says, what, I'm, what am I praying for you? He's saying, I'm praying that God would change you. That he would give you something that you, uh, that, that you need. And so he, he, his primary concern is that they've changed them. But what does, he want to, what does he want God to do for them? He wants them to fill them with the knowledge of God's will. What is God's will? Well, we tend to think about God's will as a sort of secret plan that he has for our life, that, that sort of what's going to happen in the future. That's not what Paul's talking about here. When he says that he wants them to be filled with an understanding of God's will, what he means is, is that he wants them to know what pleases God. God reveals his will to us. He reveals what he wants from us. And so he's saying, I want you to know what God wants. I want you to know the things that, that please him, which is why he says that, that, that later talks about pleasing him, walking in a manner fully pleasing to him. And when, when he says knowledge of his will, we tend to think about knowledge as something that only occurs between our ears, right? That, that's something in our head and addition, uh, that sort of distinct from what goes on in our heart and our emotions. But for ancient people, for Paul and for the Colossians, they wouldn't have thought that way. Knowledge for them was something that involved their entire self, both their, what they think, what they feel, what they do. And so we, he's saying, I want you to have the knowledge of his will. He's saying, this is a whole person thing. This is something that I want God to communicate to all of who you are, your mind, your emotions, your wills. I want you to understand in the deepest sense of that word, what God's will is. But notice that he also qualifies that knowledge with these words, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom was kind of a buzzword in the first century, uh, where you had teachers that would travel around and they would say, uh, we've got wisdom. And what they meant by that was that uh, I've got something to share with you that, that's, sort of, uh, that's for the, those who are on the inner circle, those who are on the inside, those who really know what it's like to live in this world. And so they would sort of sell that teaching and they would, they would make you feel like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm on the inside now. And that was likely what was going on in the Colossian church. You had somebody who came and said, yeah, sure, Jesus, that's, that's great. That, that's awesome that you have Jesus. But let me tell you the real knowledge. Let me tell you the real wisdom and the real understanding. You... Maybe you even heard someone speak like that today in Christian churches and say, yeah, church and, and Jesus and the cross, and that, that's, that's all well and good, but let, come, let me share with you the secret knowledge of what it's like to be on the real inside and a real Christian, right? And they share with you something that, that's sort of a secret that nobody else knows. But no, Paul says, look, this wisdom and this understanding is something that's available to every Christian. It's something that God wants to fill every Christian with and not just some elite inner circle. This is something that God says, I want you to have. And so, let me ask you this. When, when Paul's asking for these, for these things, wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God's will, how does that line up with the things that you ask God for? 
My guess is that most of the prayers that, that you and I pray, and I'll, I, I include myself in this category because, uh, because I do it as well, is, is that we pray for God to change our circumstances. Most of our prayers are focused on changing our circumstances. God, please uh, heal us when we're sick. Or help us not to get sick when we're healthy. Uh, we ask him to provide us with work if we're unemployed. Change our circumstances. Kids, maybe you ask God to help you with your schoolwork or to, uh, to give you a new friend in your life or God, please get rid of my brother and sister just for like two hours so that I can you know, do something that I want. And hear me, it's okay to pray for those things. It's okay for God to, to pray for God to change our circumstances. All good gifts come from him. We ought to pray that he would give us our daily bread. So it's not wrong to pray for those things. But here's the difference. God has not promised us any of those things. He has not promised us good health for the rest of our life. He has not promised us economic prosperity. He has not promised us comfort or a sibling-free afternoon. He does give us those things, but he hasn't promised those things. But he has promised more knowledge of his will. He has promised wisdom. He has promised more understanding of who he is and his ways. And so when we go to God and we ask for those things, God, change me and make me a person who understands your will. God, show me the light of who you are. Show me what what you want for my life. Those are things that he has promised us, that, that he has staked his reputation on to give us. And so when you ask God for those things, he will give them to you. He will give them to you. And there is no bottom. There is no end. There is no maxing out those types of requests. You can ask them every day, every hour, and God will answer them fully with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. He delights to answer those prayers because he has promised them. And so when we stretch our prayer lives to to the size of God's promises, we're matching them up with his promises and saying, God, you've promised these, so I'm going to ask you for those things. So that's the first way that he wants us to stretch our prayer lives is, is to stretch them to the things that he has promised. But but what's the goal? Why, why do we pray? What, what's, stretching our prayers to the size of God's promises should also change why we pray. And that is, what I mean by that is, what, what, do the things that, what are the things that we ought to expect to see if God answers our prayers? Well, Paul answers that in verses 10 and 11. He says, he's praying for this growing knowledge of God's will in their lives so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, this is in verse, uh, ten, is verse 10, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, walking was a metaphor that the Jews used a lot to talk about uh, just what it meant to live a practical life. It, uh, so you think about Psalm 1 where it says, blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, walk was a metaphor for just the everyday decisions that you and I make as we walk along in our life. And so what Paul's saying here is that uh, 
that the knowledge that he's praying for of God's will would transfer into the everyday decisions that they make in their life. He, he also uses the image here of bearing fruit, an image that we heard Jesus use in our, our reading from Matthew chapter 13. When God answers our prayers for greater knowledge, uh, we will expect it to, we should expect it to bear fruit in our lives, in the, the, in the fruit of everyday decisions like words of kindness and acts of generosity and love and choices for purity and self-sacrifice and admitting when we're wrong or compassion for those in need. Those are the kinds of fruit that, that, that God desires to see born in our life. In other words, this isn't a knowledge that sort of stays up in our head and saying, well, isn't that interesting that God wants those things for me? And then going on about our life as usual. No, we, we learn God, what pleases God and we put it into practice in our life. That's what Paul wants to see. But notice as well that, that he expects them to also increase in what he says is the knowledge of God. Is Paul just being redundant here? Didn't he say that just a minute ago that he wanted to increase in the knowledge of God, but now he's saying knowledge of God again? Is he just sort of using that word again and again because he likes it? No, he, he's, he's talking about something different here. He says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of the will of God so that you can know God. The theologian and author J.I. Packer once wrote this. He said, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. I'm going to read that again. A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. We can know all kinds of things about God, can't we? Right? We can know great theological truths. We can know the answer to all the debates that church history is, is full of. We can listen to thousands of sermons and know our Bibles backwards and forwards. We can know how to tithe our money. We can serve in various capacities in the church. You can even be a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, and, and teach others, and people can find great benefit from your teaching. But knowing about God is not the same thing as knowing God himself. The same way that husbands knowing your wife's birthday, it's not the same thing as knowing your wife, right? Knowing things about God is different from knowing God himself. But the knowledge of God is what Paul is praying for for the Colossians. He wants them to know God's will so that they will end up knowing God himself. Think about your life for a minute. If you're a Christian, when has God recently helped you learn and experience more of him? Did you experience a major loss in your life? That God is learning for you to teach, is God is teaching you to lean on him as your comforter? Are you experiencing deep doubt in your life and questions that you've never asked before until now and you're learning to, to know what it means for God to be a patient father leading you into the truth? Do you have worries about the future, where you're going, how, how, where you're going to work, where you're going to live, whether you'll get married, whether you're going to have kids or not, and you're learning to depend upon God as your prov provider? 
It's one thing to be able to quote Romans 8.28 and say, I know that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But it's another thing to say, God, do I have to trust you in this situation? When we say all things, I didn't think you meant this. But that's the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And that is the fruit of our prayers. Knowing God. Not just knowing about him, not just being able to point to a verse, not just being able to know the answer to a catechism question or whatever, but being able to say, I know God is my comforter. I know God is my provider. I know God is my sufficient everything. And so when we see our our prayers stretched to asking for these things, asking for God to change us, we ought to expect him to change us in ways in which we will know him more deeply. And that may be difficult because he may bring things into your life that will teach you to know him in a way that you don't know him already. And that will likely mean passing through some trials and difficulties. But you can know that God is bringing you through those in answer to your prayers and in answer to the prayers of your friends and your family around you who love you and who want what's best for you, just like he does. So we stretch our prayers to include the things that God wants to change in us. We stretch them to, so that we can, uh, uh, the goals of our prayers become different, not to make our life more comfortable, not to get our circumstances just right here on earth, but so that we can know God. But what is the basis of our prayers? If, we, if you were to go build a tall building out here somewhere, in a built, new apartment building, the higher you build that building, the deeper the base you have to deal, build, the deeper the hole you have to b- b- dig in the ground, because the more weight there is on that structure, the deeper you got to go. And so if our prayers are going to stretch to the height of God's promises, we better make sure that we have a deep and, and sound foundation underneath our feet when we pray. What is that? Well, that's exactly where Paul's mind takes him as he thinks about praying for the Colossians. Look at verses 12 and 13. He mentions giving thanks to God our Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just as God gave an earthly inheritance to the people of Israel that he spoke to Abraham about in our, in our text from Genesis chapter 13, he has given you an inheritance as well. And he's talking about heaven here. He's talking about the inheritance that God has, has earned for us in heaven. And, and he's, he, notice what he says. He's already qualified you to inherit that. He's qualified you to inherit that. And then in verse 13, he explains just how, God quali- just how he qualified you to inherit that inheritance. He took you out of the domain of darkness into which you were naturally born, and he placed you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And when he says we have redemption in him, what he means by that is that God purchased you, God bought you, God paid a price for you to buy you out of that kingdom and to put you into the kingdom of his beloved son like someone would buy a slave out of slavery, paying a price. And if you're a Christian this morning, then God has bought you with the blood of Jesus, his only begotten son, so that you can be safely placed in the kingdom of of, his, uh, of, of Jesus who is powerful and loving in his dominion. 
And here's why that matters for your prayer life. The more secure your relationship, the more boldly and more frequently you will pray. It's that simple. To the extent that your relationship with God is firm and steady and assured, the more you know you're loved, the more you know you're accepted, the more you know that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, your Father, and Jesus Christ, the more boldly you will go to Him and ask for these things because you know that He has promised them to you and you know that He will not hesitate to give them to you. Kids, let me ask you a question. If you need something, where do you go? If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're bored... Where do you go? You go to mom and dad, right? You go to mom and dad because you trust them. You go to mom and dad because you know that they have what you need. You go to mom and dad because you know that they love you and that they will provide for you the things that you need. Whenever, whenever our kids were younger, we would take them out to, to, to dinner at a restaurant and uh, we'd, uh, the waiter would look at them and say, uh, what would you like? And what did they do? They'd be like, oh my gosh, no, I, there's a stranger talking to me. I, there's no way that I can ask them for something because I don't know who they are. But meanwhile, with mom and dad, it's, can I have this? Can I have that? I need this. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm bored. Help me. That's what we do with people that we love and trust. Friends, when it comes to our prayer lives, they often remain inflexible. They often remain limited. They often remain small because we lack the assurance that we need of God's love for us. When we feel like, maybe we feel sometimes like prayer is an imposition on God. Like, like he's some busy dad who's running around the house trying to get everything done and, and we don't want to bother him with all the, the things that are going on in our life. Or maybe we feel like we don't deserve to come before God. That, some way, that somehow we need to get our life together first before we ever think about praying to him. God is not a busy dad running around. He's not standing back with his arms crossed saying, well, you better get your life together before you come ask me for anything. No, he says he has qualified you to inherit the inheritance. He has already delivered you out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of Christ. And because he gave his son for you, because he redeemed you and and paid that precious price for you, he will not hesitate to give you everything that you need, to give you everything that you most deeply need, which is more knowledge of him, which is more experience of who he is. He will not hesitate. So friends, let the love of God, let his deep and rich and precious promises stretch your prayer life. Stretch it out. It can't stretch far enough to reach the end of his promises. And so stretch. Stretch it and ask God to change you. Ask God to give you more of himself. Ask God to assure you of his love so that you can reach out to him in prayer and boldness. Amen. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that you have redeemed us out of darkness and put us into the light of the kingdom of Jesus. And because we stand under his lordship, we can now approach you boldly. 
approach you asking for everything that we need, knowing that in Christ it will all be provided. We don't need anything else. We don't need a a, a deeper foundation. We don't need some other uh, wisdom. We don't need some other mediator between us and you. We have everything that we need in Christ. And so, Lord, help us to come before you with boldness and ask for the things that we so desperately need, which is more of you. Lord, shape our church according to these prayers. Shape each of our individual prayer lives according to these prayers. And help us to be a praying people. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.